I have had a ton of stuff going on this week. I had intended to teach the second part on the Master's Supper, and we will pick that back up next week. I will add an addendum to that and say, if it be Yahweh's will, because I don't know what will happen between now and next week. So what I did this morning, as I meditated and read my Bible and thought and interacted with people throughout this past week, I've had four thoughts that have come to my mind. And so what you're going to get today is four sermons in one. And don't worry, they won't all be an hour apiece. But there's four thoughts that have come to my mind. So the first one is from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, Yahweh is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I was thinking this past week, there are two identifying marks of a true believer. That doesn't mean that there's not more than two, but there are at least two. And the first one is this. The true believer does not walk in darkness. There is the possibility of somebody to profess with their mouth that they know Yahweh and be lost and condemned to the lake of fire. Paul talks about in the epistle to Titus, he says that they profess that they know the Almighty, but in works they deny Him, being unto every good work reprobate. Brother John tells us here in the first chapter in 1 John, he tells us if we say that we have fellowship with Yahweh, that we love Yahweh, that we fellowship with Him, that we're His child, but yet we walk in darkness, John says we are liars and we don't have the truth. Walk in the Bible. When it says walk in darkness, walk in the Bible often means the way of life, the way that you live, what you practice, how you go about every day of your life. And so the first mark of the true believer is that if you say that you have fellowship with Yahweh, you will not walk in darkness. It's an impossibility. You will walk in the light. You will practice righteousness. You will be a keeper of the commandments. The second mark, though, is this, and it seems like it's almost contradictory to the first one. But the second mark is this of the true believer he or she doesn't say that they have no sin. 
That's the second mark. The first one is they don't walk in darkness. They don't live a lifestyle of unrighteousness and wickedness. They're commandment keepers. But the second one is they don't say that they have no sin. Some of the holiest people that I've ever known are the ones that you always hear say, I need to confess because I'm so unworthy and I'm so unrighteous. And I'm sitting there thinking as I sit in the pew, that is one of the holiest men or women that I know in my life. But the key is this. The holier we get, the more sanctified we get by grace. Justification is not the only thing that's by grace. Sanctification, the process whereby Yahweh conforms us to the image of His Son, that's by grace too. That's the working of Yahweh too. And the closer that you get to the image of the Son, the more sanctified that you get to the image of the Son, not only do you change, but your mindset continuously changes and sees Yahweh as more holy and more holy and more holy. So even though you're walking closer in keeping His commandments, you're seeing deeper and deeper holiness of Yahweh. And so therefore you're constantly realizing, no matter how holy you seem to be in this life, you are no comparison with Almighty Yahweh. Yahweh is holy. His law is holy. His law made flesh, which is His Son, is holy. And I was mentioning in the concert yesterday that on my bad days or on my worst days that I have as a human being, I have to look to the Messiah. But you know what? On my best days that I have when everything goes right and I feel like I'm doing the law of Yahweh, how it should be done, I still have to look to the Messiah. Because I'm no comparison. On my best day, I'm no comparison to Him. If I could be Him, then I would be Him. Do you see that? But I'm not. I need Him. I need His righteousness imputed to my account. So that's my first thought. And the second one has nothing to do with the first one. We're just going to move on through these thoughts. This is what I've been thinking this week. This is what has been in Brother Matthew's head. Thought number two, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Thought number one, two marks of true believers. They live righteously. They do not walk in darkness. They do not say, I have no sin. Thought number two, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet. I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. It is so important, brothers and sisters, it is so important that you realize that you are needed in this congregation. So important. It doesn't matter how small a part you think you play. We need that part. The parts that we think are the weaker ones, Paul says, these are the ones that are more necessary. What is it, I think? It's the, is it the big toe that is so necessary for walking capability, for your balance? And if you lose that big toe... It's just a small part of the body. You don't have the ability to do what you would do if you had it. Verse 23, In those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. 
but our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, Yahweh has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. And now we're getting into my thought. The members would have the same concern for each other. The body of the Messiah is just like Brother Matthew's body here, singular. If I'm working on a chicken pen and the hammer hits my thumb because I'm not a craftsman like Brother Jerry or Brother TJ, I try, but I'm not. If the hammer hits my thumb, all of my attention goes to my thumb. Are you tracking with me? Every bit of this body's attention goes here. If I stub my toe, if I have an ingrown toenail, which I don't like those, all of my attention goes there. And I want to get rid of it because it's suffering. Paul is using that human analogy to try to allow us to understand and get us to understand that all the members of the congregation should care for one another just like you care for your thumb or your toe if it gets hurt. And in verse 26 it says, So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And it's easy to rejoice, at least for me, it's easier to rejoice with a member who comes in and says, I've got a praise, I've got a testimony, and they come in skipping and hopping. And you know, you want to clap and you're excited and you smile because you're glad that they're doing well. But somebody comes in and suffers, and what do we do? I don't really want to deal with that. Ah. I don't want that as part of my life. I don't want to take time out to deal with that. Or, And I don't like this, and we should never do this. We make light of their situation. When someone comes to you and needs your shoulder to cry on or needs you to talk to, the worst thing you could do is act like it's not a big deal to them. That's the worst thing you could do. The best thing you could do a lot of times is sit down and shut up and let them cry on your shoulder and listen to that brother or that sister. When people are hurting or going through a difficult time in life, don't make light of their situation. You can use a Christian cliche, sure. We all know them. But don't use it. Tell them, I love you, I know you're hurting, and I'm here to suffer with you. Time we weep with those that weep and mourn with those that mourn. There are a lot of hurting people. Sister Rhonda, you're right. There are a lot of hurting people. And we don't need people to feel like they need to go to the world to get relief. They need to be able to come to the body of the Messiah and find help and hope for their life. Exodus chapter 20. This is the third thought that I had this week, meditating on the Word. It's found in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. It says, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. 
You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, Yahweh, your Almighty, am a jealous Almighty. This is my thought. Punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What we do as adults and parents to our children affects generations to come. And before we as an adult make the decision to commit some crazy-minded sin, we need to not only think about how it's going to affect our life, but we need to think about how it's going to affect the lives of everybody around us. And not just everybody around you at that time, but generation after generation after generation. That doesn't mean that the generations to come don't have the possibility of salvation. But what it means is that if somebody does this, if I commit some kind of heinous sin, capital crime, my children may still be saved, but it won't be because of me, it will be in spite of me. They'll still have Yahweh as a possibility in their life, but they'll have to suffer physically for something that their daddy did stupidly. Do you see what I'm saying? When we sin, it's not just about us. When I sin, it affects my wife, it affects my children, it affects Brother Jerry, it affects Brother Tim, it affects this congregation, it affects people that know me and my family. And I'm doing nothing but committing a selfish, so selfish act by giving in to the whims of the flesh And I'm saying, fooey on my family, fooey on everybody around me. I don't want this. I want to do what I want to do. Before you commit that sin, you think about how it will not only affect you, how that it will affect your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren on down the line. Punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and the fourth generations of those that hate me. But, but, the reverse is just as true. But showing faithful love unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Just like Yahweh will punish your children to the third and the fourth generation if you don't quit dabbling in that sin that you know is not right. And if you don't quit just caring about yourself and and not caring about your family. The same is true on the opposite side. If you're faithful to Yahweh and you don't walk in darkness and you keep the commandments and you train your children up, Yahweh will have faithful, loving kindness on your children to a thousand generations. And I believe, I believe that some children that are alive now are still experiencing some of that faithful love from their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents that were so much closer to the law of Yahweh than people are now today. We need to carry that torch. My mother told me that my Mama Walden, my granddaddy's mama, 
would make this statement. Keep the Ten Commandments and you'll never go wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't hear too many sisters in the faith saying that anymore. I don't hear too many brothers in the faith. I don't hear too many preachers saying that anymore. Keep the Ten Commandments and you won't go wrong. And sometimes I think, no, I don't think, I know that Yahweh's loving kindness is still being passed to her grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren because she was dedicated to the law of Almighty Yahweh in the capacity and the ability that she knew how. What you do affects generations to come. What you do affects generations to come. I've got one more thought to share with you. The first thought that we went over was there's two marks to the true believer. They don't walk in darkness and they don't say they have no sin. The second thought is this. We're to weep with those that weep and mourn with those that mourn, not make light of their suffering and their problems, but be there for them. 1 Corinthians 12. Thought number three, before you commit a sin, think about how it will affect everyone you are involved with. The consequences are altering in so many ways. It's like an earthquake. Generations will suffer because of what you've done. And my fourth and final thought, I think it's based upon Scripture. I don't have a verse to go to for it, but it's something that I thought about yesterday as my wife and I were talking. And that is this. In ministry or in service, and hopefully I've taught this before, but it will not be bad to say it again. The word minister means to serve. Maybe we see the plaque on the door, Minister Jones or Minister Smith, and we think that's a prestigious title. But the word minister stems from the Latin language, and it means to serve. It's like when Mary and Martha made the Messiah and his apostles food to eat. The King James Version says they ministered to him. It means they served him. Minister means to serve. And in ministry or in service, you cannot always, I cannot always be the one ministering. I can't. And the analogy that my wife and I were discussing was this. You can only squeeze so much water out of a wet sponge. There's going to come a point when you're not going to be able to get any more water out of that sponge. And Yahweh is teaching me that I need to be ministered to and not just do the one, be the one that's ministering. Yahweh's teaching me that even though I run the race, that doesn't mean I always have to sprint. Sometimes I slow down and I might need to walk and catch my breath. Sometimes I might need to stop, not go back, but stop and rest. I'm not going back. I've come way too far to turn back now. Amen, Amen, brother. In ministry, you don't always have to be the one that ministers. What happens when that sponge gets dry, you know what it needs? It needs to be dipped into water again so that it can then minister to other people. And Yahweh is teaching me that And I hope that that ministers to you today.
I didn't have time to put together a sermon like I normally do this week. It takes a lot of time. But these are my thoughts that have went through my head this week that I've been pondering about. And I hope and pray that they are a blessing to you and that you can take them and and apply them to your life in whatever way. Heavenly Father, help us, Father Yahweh, to not deceive ourselves. Help us, Father Yahweh, to recognize that just because we profess with our mouth, that alone doesn't mean that we're saved. Help us, Father Yahweh, to be humble and recognize that we are sinners but by grace. Father, help us to mourn with those that are hurting. Help me, Yahweh, Father, to do that. Father, help us to cast down those stupid spirits that come into our minds where we do things and we don't think about our children or we don't think about our grandchildren, we don't think about our our friends or our church and we only think about ourselves and we sin and we don't realize how bad it affects everybody around us. Father Yahweh also help those in ministry to know that it's okay if they're not always ministering. Help me, Yahweh Father. Thank you for this blessed Sabbath day. Bring us back here next week to do it all over again and rehearse what we'll be doing in the new heavens and the new earth. Through your Son, I pray.